0: Bold Vision, Inspirational Leadership, Drive, Determination, Creativity. Welcome to Secrets of Staffing Success, a podcast where we talk to innovators and thought leaders in the staffing industry to discover the strategies and tactics that make these top performers stand out. And here are your hosts, the co-CEOs of Haley Marketing, Victoria Kenward, and David Cerns. Not every staffing executive comes with an Ivy League pedigree. In fact, many of the most successful staffing entrepreneurs had humble beginnings and created great success through grit, determination, and a lot of street smarts. Today's guest, Leslie McIntyre-Tavella, is one of these people. As you hear in her story, she grew up in a blue-collar family, leaving high school at age 16 to take on the world. And boy, has she succeeded. Leslie's had a 31 year career in the staffing industry. And in that time, she founded and grew an award winning agency serving Central Connecticut. She wrote a book on lessons of growing an entrepreneurial company. And she has founded an HR consulting business, training small to mid sized employers to become HR progressive. In today's episode, Leslie talks with us about her experiences in the staffing industry, the keys to breaking through the ceilings that often constrain small companies, and her remarkable journey to become a community and industry leader. Secrets of Staffing Success is brought to you by Haley Marketing. Back in August of this year, Haley Marketing celebrated our 25th birthday. As part of the celebration, we did what we do best. We gave away lots of ideas with a special event called the Smart Ideas Summit. Over seven hours, we had 14 presentations by the industry's leading consultants, sharing ideas on strategy, sales, recruiting, operations, and of course, marketing. And good news, we recorded everything, and it's free to watch. You can check out all the presentations at haleymarketing.com forward slash 25bash. Again, that URL is haleymarketing.com, the number 25 B-A-S-H. We hope you enjoy our birthday present to the industry. Well, Vicki, it's good to be back In our office, back in front of our microphones, not sitting in the middle of the Expo Hall at Staffing World, recording the next episode of Secrets of Staffing Success. It's so quiet here. (laughs) It is so quiet. Nobody's walking by, pushing a table full of, I think, all plates that were falling down or any other strange noises around us.
1: Um, Nobody's waving at me.
0: (laughs) <laughs> today today should be fun. We have an opportunity to speak to someone that has been a client of Haley Marketing in the past, and we were trying to figure it out somewhere around our second and a half birthday in business, worked with us for a long, long time, has had a pretty amazing career in the staffing industry, and now is actually in a new business, which we'll talk a lot about. So I'm really excited to introduce everybody today to Leslie McIntyre-Tavella, who is the president and CEO of Copio? Hope I'm pronouncing that correctly, Copio HR. Welcome, Leslie. Thank you so much. It's great to be here. So you're, you've had a just from a staffing and now being an HR world perspective, a very interesting background, and as well as we're going to talk about your book and some other things. But just for everybody listening, uh, what's the uh, the elevator pitch on Leslie?
2: Sure. So, um, the elevator pitch on me is I have been in the staffing industry for about 35 years, uh, started out in a, an entry level position where someone just lucky for me happened to hear me on the phone and felt like I had, uh, some great potential and so I've had a series of great mentors in my life, which is really a blessing and uh, was able to uh, parlay that into um, the staffing business. Actually went in for an interview for a job that a staffing company had advertised, unbeknownst to me, I didn't even know what a staffing firm was. So I had no idea that I was interviewing at a staffing firm, was very funny. And um, the person that I was uh, meeting with happened to fall ill. And so the owner stepped in to meet me. And ironically, she said, you know, we can certainly send you on that job, but let's talk about (laughs) us and what we do. And I said, okay, sure. So uh, landed this great opportunity, uh, worked right under um, an entrepreneur who owned her own staffing firm in Stanford, stayed with that company for about uh, three or four years, and again, learned everything from her. I worked side by side with her, and uh, then again, had just a wonderful opportunity to open up um, my former staffing firm, uh, the McIntyre Group, and uh, started that when I was 22 and had a remarkable um, former a uh, senior VP of HR who actually said, I'll, I'm happy to fund the business if you'll run it, which when do you get wow. an opportunity like that? Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, we were so incredibly lucky. Our timing was great. You know, just, we had a great uh, brand reputation and I was able to build a really beautiful business and and uh, and keep it for about 31 years.
0: Oh, it's fantastic.
2: Yeah.
1: What made you decide to sell the McIntyre Group What in 2016, right?
2: Uh, yes, in 2016. So it really, um, you know, I had a great run and I knew that I had built a really strong brand. Um, we were um, wildly recognized for what we did, um, but you know, you've heard about that 25 million marker, right, where everyone gets to kind of that number and uh, they, it takes a lot to get past it. And I knew at that time that I had, I was really gonna have to do some incredible things to get past it. Um, you know, we were pretty much there. Um, But I I really just didn't want to uh, put in any more of my own capital, I really didn't know that I would work well, um, you know, with venture capital, i had been running my own business for a long time now, and I think it's really important to know what you're good at and know what you're not. Um, So I I just knew that the timing was right, our our, uh, client portfolio was beautifully balanced. Um, We had a net promoter score of 70, which is, you know, renowned in the staffing industry. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, Our gross profit was 45 percent and we didn't have any uh, concentration over 10 percent with any of our clients. So I just knew that the timing was right. The multiples were going to be really good. And I felt like it was time for me to, you know, to turn it over to someone else. And uh, see, you know, what they could do with with my business from there. Someone that was culturally aligned with our brand.
0: So I'm pretty certain you just made a lot of people very jealous when you went through that (laughs) list of numbers um, to have that kind of growth, (laughs) that kind of gross margin, yeah, and that client diversification. How'd you do it? What made the McIntyre Group that successful?
2: You know, it's funny, I. Um, When I stepped away from the business after I sold it, um, I really had time to kind of unpack everything that we had done, which was a really interesting journey to go on because like any business owner, when you're actually in it and you're kind of in the weeds, I talk about this in my book, um, you don't get a chance to really step away and look at kind of, you know, what you're doing and where you, where you need to be to move the business forward. And you don't see some of the things that are really very obvious after the fact, which kind of, (laughs) I was really a little surprised by that, but it's true. Um, and one of the things that I think in staffing particular that you have to make a decision on is are you going to be a transactional business or are you going to have a, a consultative approach? And we were very, very lucky. We were not a transactional business. We really Um, wanted to have uh, remarkable relationships with our companies, and we wanted to make sure that our client uh, relationships endured for many, many years. We had um, our average client relationship, the tenure of those relationships was about 15.4 or five years. So we had an incredible um, client run, and we knew those companies. um, And those relationships were really coveted by a lot of the large staffing firms. But we were able to, uh, through the use of having incredible people in our company and the tenure of our actual staff being uh, quite long, we were really able to cultivate those great relationships. And I think that's where it really starts. Um, It starts kind of with the foundation of your business. Um, You have to really build a a rock solid foundation. I talk about this a lot in my book. Um, And then from there, you have to be very, very consistent with the processes that you put in place um, and with the people that you hire and the culture that you build. And that might sound like, you know, very easy to say, but it's certainly, as we all know, um, something quite hard to do and to achieve.
1: It's the Holy grail, isn't it? It's like to be able to do all of those things. (laughs) Yes, it is. So you're, you're at a, you're at a point where all of this is coming to you. Is that why you decided to write it all down and put it in a book
2: what, what motivated you to do that? Yeah, I, well, I really wanted to, because I felt like I had some lessons that I really thought a lot of, uh, young or new entrepreneurs could, you know, could really, um, see the value in and even people that, um, Really ideally, entrepreneurs that are already started, but are kind of at that, you know, 50,0 or a million or two in revenue, and they just can't quite figure out how to scale the business and, and how to build it up to the level that I had gotten it to. Because that's also, I think, another inflection point. You know, uh, you have a lot of small entrepreneurs and they have a very difficult time scaling the business to five, 10. 15, you know, those are those are some pretty large markers um, to get to. And I think a lot of the lessons in my book are um, lessons that will really help entrepreneurs reach those milestones.
0: What do you see is the, you mentioned someone's like, because I've also often heard that there's a $10 million barrier. You mentioned a $25 million barrier. There's usually a 50 or $100 million barrier. And yeah. at each of those barriers, there's typically major transitions that organizations need to go through. But let's talk let's start the smaller ones the companies that are trying to make it to you know 1 to 2 or 2 to 5 what do they need to do what made you successful
2: oh it's <laughs> such a good question it's funny cuz i think back and i remember when i opened you know, my company, it was me, myself, and I, which I thought I'd look back and I think it's so funny. I would do the payroll. I would do the sales calls. I, you know, I was a one man band, which just seems ridiculous. Now, you know, when I think back, but, and that's kind of the journey that I had to go on. I had to go back and remember all of that and not just think about, you know, we're here now, but how, how did we get there? And, you know, one of the things that I think is really important is, um, Early in, we really developed our what I call MVPs, which is mission, value, and purpose. And we really adhered um, to those principles. You know, those really were our guiding lights. We, we had a mission, everyone knew what the mission was. We had a set of core values. Everyone really knew what those core values were and we kind of really lived and died by those values. So they weren't, um, you know, they weren't inspirational. Uh, they were inspirational, not aspirational, pardon me. And so, um, you know, we, we really uh, needed people to understand that this is the type of person we were going to hire, um, and this is the environment that we wanted them to be in, and this is the culture that we wanted to build. And and I'll, I'll honestly say that one of the mistakes that I made, which I can easily talk about those, is um, when we probably got to about our 27th or 28th year um, I noticed that my, some of my staff had changed um, and they weren't aligned uh, with our MVPs. And I uh, did not address that and have those people move on and go you know, work for another organization. Um, and that's something that I, I really talk about in my book. Um, I, I talk a lot about don't lower your standards. You know, never lower the bar. Um, it's really a decision that you have to make, and it's a very, very difficult one because, you know, everyone is struggling for talent, and everyone is struggling to bring you know candidates into their, um, you know, good people into their companies. But it's really important that those people are culturally aligned with your brand, um, and they really do see the MVPs, uh, and they're and they're going to follow those because. If you get a couple of people that aren't following, you know, those values um, over time, the whole your whole process and your whole company can change.
1: What's really funny is this morning I sent David this quote, it says, nothing will kill a great employee faster than watching you tolerate a bad one by Peter Belcher. And And that is absolutely the
2: truth. Yeah, yeah.
1: It, it totally resonates because if you allow somebody like that to stay on your team, you're sending a message to the other employees and the other the members of your team, and it quickly degrades. So, how did you get yourself out of that situation?
2: Um, again, thank goodness. I really, when I say I had only a few, I really had only a few. Um, and, you know, this is what's difficult because as you grow your business, you know, you start out as an entrepreneur touching everything and doing everything. Everything has your flavor and tone. And, and you have, you know, as you as you both know, being, you know, very successful entrepreneurs, you literally started everything yourself. And so you wrote everything, you branded everything, you designed everything. But in order to really grow your company and to build this successful business, you have to be able to... To let it go and you have to be able to delegate those, those duties to other people. And it's really, it's very hard. Uh, and I think what's important is you have to really learn how to articulate what your brand is and really make sure that you have this um, consistent set of processes so you can really train your people to be like-minded and you know do kind of the same work or similar work that you would do. Um, you know, but I tell people all the time, and, and I've talked about this a lot, no one's going to love your business the way you do. No one is going to work in your business the way you do. So you do have to have a slight sacrifice because, again, it's it's your business. And so you just have to really hope that you continue to hire those right, those right people.
0: Yeah, I know we've uh, talked on the show before about uh, we're, we're fans of uh, Robert Glazer. And he talks about the art of delegation and he, t- he teaches on the 85% rule. Mm-hmm. And he said, essentially, if the person you're handing something off to is can do 85% of what you would do or 85% of your standards, that's okay. You're, you're, if you push for 100%, you're going to be micromanaging yourself to death, but at 85%, yes your savings in delegating is now greater than the loss because it's not quite up to your standards. But that's a hard lesson. And you, I'm going to go back to the small business owners because I, I always feel like I relate very well to them. Mm-hmm. You're right. You're doing everything. And I, you know, as you said, the me, me myself, and I, I'm like, oh, I could, that would, for, an, for an executive recruiter would just be a great about us page. Here's our team. And you draw right. all the boxes and you put the same person in there with all their roles in the company. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> but then you start to fill those, those boxes. And you talked about the importance of core values. And this might also tie to what your current business is. That, that entrepreneur that's hiring, they, they tell their clients to make sure that it's the right fit. But we see in staffing all the time, they struggle hiring their own people. So how does the staffing company make sure that they're hiring to their MVP?
2: Yeah, it's, it's really, really difficult. And I think sometimes, uh, specifically in staffing, I think you really have to be patient. Um, one of the things that we didn't do that we realized later we could have done is the people that we had in place were such loyal, dedicated people. And Young people, especially, are always looking to take on more and to learn new things and to do different work and to elevate. And so we realized after a series of you know a couple of wrong you know bad hires, that um we could we could lean on our existing people more. Give them opportunity to learn some new things and to try out, you know, work in some other areas of our company, um, you know, see if they could kind of you know, stretch their skills. And we didn't have to rush out and hire someone right away. Our people had a, a, a lot of bandwidth and, and we could really rely on that. And I think sometimes as an owner, you're, you're afraid to go to your people and, and be vulnerable and talk with them about you know, some of the issues that you're having. And you have to know that if you have a group of trusted advisors um, and really committed people that, that you can do that. You can sit down and say, hey, you know, we're having a difficult time finding the exact uh, cultural fit for this position. Would you all mind helping out a little bit and working a little bit more or you know lending a hand here while we really take the time and and then from there, I really think it's about um, I think companies make such terrible mistakes when they're hiring and I just can't really, I'm always so surprised that we're still all doing the same things. You know, companies write these job descriptions that are, you know, two and a half pages long. They literally recite all of these things that they must have, half of them which they don't need to have, degrees that they really don't need in some cases. Um, And what they don't realize is the beginning of the candidate experience is about engaging their audience. And so what they need to be thinking about is, it's not about me right now. It's about them. And this is where we really are having such a miss um, in an age gap for, uh, for younger people. Because I talk about in my book, The Brag Behind the Brand, young people want to get behind their brand. They, they literally, you know, it's not, someone said this to me recently, and I think you'll find it really interesting. You know, my age, we say, what do you do? Young people say, where do you work? Completely different thinking is going into hiring people now. So they want a brand that has a mission, that has, um, you know, has a purpose, that they can really talk about with their friends. They can showcase this brand, you know, look what we're doing, look what we stand behind, look what we're about. And so when when companies are forming, um, you know, a job description to put out into the world, they they need to use what I call the hymn, (laughs) H-Y-M-N, which is the hook, (laughs) your why, the mission, and the non-negotiables. And that's how a job description needs to be built it needs to be all about those things. That's going to engage a lot more candidates and bring in a lot of traffic. Then when you're doing your interview, you can get into all of the nitty gritty and the boring stuff about the job and you know the internal jargon. Some of the job descriptions, sometimes I think, man, maybe I'm, maybe I'm getting too old to be in this business. I read some of these job descriptions. I'm like, there was 13 acronyms in there. I don't even know what they mean. I mean, and I'm sure that the people in those industries, I'm sure they do know, but is that exciting? does that make you go, wow, I want to work there? And in my book, I take a job description that I actually found online and I take it and I rewrite it. And I think, you know, obviously I really, really, you know, treated it up. But I think that there's a real, you know, a real comparison there that you need to look at and say, why aren't we getting this talent in, you know, why aren't we getting this inbound traffic? And that's one of the reasons why.
1: There's so many places I could go here.
2: (laughs) (laughs) It's a lot to talk about. (laughs) There's a lot.
1: I totally agree with you on the acronyms. Poor David has been hearing me complain a lot about how much we use acronyms and the fact that, you know, our our clients, our team members, they don't know what all these acrony- acronyms no. are. And the staffing industry has a ton of acronyms. They do. And then you, do. you get lost on what does that mean? And then you miss yeah. the whole context of what we're talking about. Yes, so, but Yeah, it makes sense not to put them in a job description. Mm-hmm. I love this HIM method. I love that idea behind that. It's marketing. It's selling it what you do and getting right. people excited about what they're going to do and their potential to be part of this. Correct. And you know, I think we've been trying to get that across for years in, in our business, but you've done it so succinctly with this method. I'm going to have to steal that.
2: You can. You may.
1: <laughs> I'll, I'll uh, credit you every single time. <laughs>
2: Thank you so, so much.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so right now, there seems to be a disconnect, though, between the open jobs and the available people to fill them. So we can write better job descriptions, but are the people out there? What are you seeing?
2: Yeah, so it's it's a market like I've never seen before, because I think, um, you know, I think COVID-19 really gave people time to kind of do as I did, which is to sit back, uh, you know, and unpack their career and and really make them think, uh, is this what I really want to do going forward? And am I happy? And has my company um Truly valued me, and you know, do they do they care about my wellness and my well being? So there's a lot going on right now. Um, I, I do think that um, you know people keep saying, and I, I keep hearing a lot of my clients say, you know, when we go back to normal, and you know, I hate to say it, but I've now finally just said it to them because they need to hear it. We're never going back to normal. That's, that was then and you know we are here now mm-hmm. and, and I don't know that we necessarily need to say that that was normal I just don't think we're going back um, What I do think we're going to get is there as we're seeing now there's a tremendous, flux in the market and a lot of moving parts a lot of people are you know leaving because you know they're they're thinking about really retiring there's a lot of people starting their own businesses um, a lot of people moving in different roles because they really do value the hybrid um you know work opportunities now compared to you know going every day to a brick and mortar so i just think there's a lot of movement that's going on and i think that companies really need to once again really really work on on that brand and what that company really does um, and how they can really relate that to their um, people, because that's what people want. They really want to have something to really stand behind um, and something that really has a purpose in the community. I mean, young people are all about social media and marketing. I mean, that's, they're just walking billboards for, you know, for social, everything, everything gets posted. They want to talk about everything. They want to showcase their companies. They want to say, look what my company did, look what we're doing, here's what's happening. And so, you know what, if, if these, if some companies or a group of companies aren't doing that, then they're going to have a really difficult time attracting, you know, the the talent that they need. Very good point.
1: I think there's a piece of this is that the whole um, candidate journey and, and what that applicant goes through. And I think you touch on this in your book, too. I just want to talk a little bit about you know, how do we change that applicant journey to make it more competitive and how do we eliminate bottlenecks? What are those bottlenecks?
2: So we were talking a lot about this um, over the past couple of weeks because um, it seems to me that you know there's there's this there's a large group of uh, candidates that are looking to leave their jobs and find new jobs. And there's a tremendous amount of companies looking for people. And I can't seem to understand why we can't seem to get those things connected. I hear about, uh, and and i I've, I've seen myself, some of the most talented um, candidates who, are literally spending two months applying to jobs and not getting one response, and, and this isn't anything new. I mean, okay. this is this happened, you know, for many years while I was in the, uh, you know, in the actual staffing business myself. Um, and, and I think, and, and oh, forgive all of those people out there that are selling artificial intelligence and all these great platforms, and but I have to maybe say, a couple things come to mind. Number one, right now. Human resource departments are pressed absolutely beyond anything I have ever seen before. Um, this has been the hardest two years for them um, and for, you know, for so many of, of, our, of our clients. So I think right now, if you don't have your talent and your HR teams separated and you don't have the luxury of having a talent acquisition person or persons, I think it's a very, very difficult time because I think the issue is time. That's number one. Um, and this is why I know we go to these programs that have artificial intelligence built in and they help screen and all that. But I, I really wonder, and I, and I don't know that much about you know, these platforms, so I can't speak to them. I wonder sometimes if they are knocking out you know, a lot of potential talent and if that is an issue. And that's one of the reasons why um, these potential candidates are not getting any response at all. So you know, I worry about that, and and again, I just think that there is such a volume of traffic that that's happening out there um, that it's just very, very difficult for companies to kind of you know wrap their staff around it. I just think that time is probably one of the biggest um, issues, but but companies have to do better because what's happening, whatever the reason or reasons may be, is they're really hurting their reputation in the market. Um, You know, you can't, you hear about the black hole of recruiting and ghosting and, you know, all these new terms and all these things that are happening. Um, Companies just can't really afford to do that. So, you know, I, I understand you have an opening or you have 20 openings, you're panicked, you need to hire, you finally get the candidates that you want, you can't just let that whole additional group of candidates that have taken the time to apply, who care about your company, you can't just leave them out there. You have to acknowledge them. There has to be some feedback. And more importantly, you really should be putting them into a, a pipeline you know, for future mining so you can contact them because they might not be right for an opening that you have at your company now, but they surely could be right for an opening that you have in six months or nine months. And this is why no matter what platform they ever come out with, staffing firms are always going to rule the day because we know how to manage and and, uh, navigate a candidate pipeline. We know how to build them. We know how to continually touch the candidates in that pipeline and we know how to mine them for future opportunities. And that's what companies simply can't seem to figure out.
0: Leslie, that's that's really fascinating, the, the ability to build, manage and navigate that talent pipeline. And I'm thinking about, we just came back from staffing world and it was technology, technology, technology. And everybody's trying to use technology now, in some cases, to improve the candidate experience, very often Correct. to extend the recruiter's capabilities to handle a larger volume of work. Correct. And what one of the things that we're we're seeing though is you know the technology is great when it enhances your process. Correct. But the risk is if you've got twenty one thousand staffing companies in the United States all implementing the same technologies and HR department is starting to implement these technologies and all the technologies do the same things in the same way, instead of enhancing the candidate experience, you've commoditized it. Mm
2: -hmm. Exactly.
0: And I think the the companies are going to have to not only implement the technology, but they're going to have to find a voice, their voice. It goes back to your MVP, I think, where when you use the technology, it's to convey your values. It's to learn about the candidate's values. It's to convey your mission. I love that that creating the braggable brand. i mean, that's the one I'm going to steal because I wrote bragworthy down because yes, I, I think I think employment brands should be bragworthy. That's a great way to, to describe them. But how does an HR department? How does a staffing company then balance that? Pressure to get stuff done. I'm being busy with. I have to create a human brand, and there just aren't enough hours in the day.
2: I know. Believe me, it really is difficult. I understand. I look at technology as a complement. I think it has to complement everything that we do. And believe me, we had a tremendous amount of technology in our firm. And oftentimes, you remember, we even created some things, David, long before they were a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, we had some, you know, great programs that we came up with, but. Um, I think the thing that's so difficult is we can't take the humanness out of what we do. Um, we're dealing with people. And, you know, there, there's a time where technology is really great and it really helps us, um, you know, create a nice, concise, consistent process. But, you know, I just saw this great um, new uh marketplace vendor from Bullhorn. Obviously, I'm not going to say who it is, but it was a wonderful product. I thought, wow, great idea. That's something that we did you know, 15 years ago. We did it all <laughs> manually. Um, <laughs> but the problem is it's it's a great process, but what it does is it removes the human connection from the recruiter. And here's the thing about the human connection that I used to talk about all the time. There isn't a software that I know of yet that can call a client pitch a candidate to them and say, when the client says, no, that I don't need that kind of a candidate. Well, there isn't any algorithm or artificial intelligence that can say, "Hmm, it sounds to me like you don't need this candidate, but it sounds like you do need something. How can I help you? Is there something coming in or is there something troubling you or a position in your pipeline in the next few weeks that I could help you with now and take that off your plate? That's the stuff where people need to get trained and they need to make these human phone calls and have this connection, you know, with the clients. And that's where I think we miss, because if we keep putting in this technology, you know, completely relying on it, I think that's going to be a problem because we're going to miss these opportunities Um, to ask these questions. And that one question, by the way, which I know sounds so ridiculous, I actually can tell you that I increased our revenue year over year between 10 and 15 percent by simply asking that one question every single time. Every time. My recruiters used to look at me when I used to train and say, really, that's the magic? And I'd say, yeah, that's the magic. You just have to show up, get them on the phone, talk to them, know what they need, and ask the question, provide value, and then listen. That's it.
1: That's awesome. Yes. But I think that ta- the technology, like David said about the commoditization, that presents this opportunity to differentiate based on that humanization and being a human and getting on the phone because they're not getting all those phone calls that they used to get. And they're not getting that human touch. And people crave that, especially right now when we've all been separated for so long. I would agree. Definitely good stuff. So tell us about your business now. We've talked a little bit about your book, but we never mentioned it by name. So we should do that. Um, Sure. And
2: we'll add it to the show notes later as well. And then tell us a little bit about your business. Sure. So uh, my book is called Framing Success, and it's uh, 20 lessons for achieving entrepreneurial greatness. And um, my new business—it's really interesting. Uh, I'm now on the other side of the curtain. I feel like mm. <laughs> so. Um, Colpio HR is an HR consulting company, and we offer customizable um, HR solutions for small to mid-sized firms. Uh, right now, there are so many things going on at the federal and state level. Uh, you know, as we all know, we can turn the news on and every day something is changing. And these these small to mid-sized firms are just so desperately struggling, you know, not only to just keep their businesses moving forward, supply chain issues people issues, talent issues, labor shortages. I mean, the list, when I talk to these C-level executives, it's just, it's on and on and on. The last thing they really wanna have to worry about is HR issues, but we tell them you have to, because you wanna be HR progressive. It's really important that you stay ahead of what's going on and you make sure that you have someone, you know, working on these uh, these laws and these processes for you. So um, we are doing that. And now uh, with our clients and we're really able to not only uh, partner with them, we can actually work on site or off site and we can give them as little or as much as they need, depending upon where they are in their business. Um, we also, because I just can't seem to stay away from staffing, <laughs> we, uh, we uh, opened up uh, a new vertical, uh, a new division this month called Culpio Workforce, where we will be providing um, select companies with direct hire staffing. And uh, again, it's, it kind of goes hand in hand. You know, when you're working with um, companies on their HR, they start talking about, you know, their payroll and then they start talking about their culture and their business strategy. And then all of a sudden, what do we always land on? People, the common denominator of all of these things. So and then they say, can you please, please just help us find People, We need people. So we're we're trying to help them build out their own talent pipeline. We're trying to teach them how to do it. But I I do find that a lot of companies really don't necessarily want to learn. Perhaps right now, the timing, you know, is is difficult. Um, So they want us to help them find the talent. And hopefully along the way, we can, you know, help them build out better processes. Just can't stay away from it, can you? I no, I can't. I just, <laughs> just can't. in I your blood. I do. I love it so much. I really do. <laughs> that's great.
0: So for, for as you mentioned, the employment law, and it, that's one that sort of hits home to us because we crossed that 50-person threshold um, during COVID. So during the yeah. lockdown, and we, and we also had the experience of we hired 19 people remotely during COVID. Yeah. So that was you know, how do you hire remote? How do you onboard remote? But when you're working with your clients, besides the the myriad employment laws that they now have to deal with, what's their attitude towards human resources? Is it, are they? I like the term you used. Are they being HR progressive, or is it uh, still thinking about an HR's administrative? And I don't even want to deal with this.
2: Well, it's interesting. There seems to be kind of two buckets. There's um, there's most of the companies, they really want to be HR progressive and they, they, they want to do everything right. It's uh, the question of not uh, wanting, it's really knowing. You know, there's, there's some laws that have passed that, and I, <laughs> I know it's hard to believe, but I just think companies are so focused right now on, you know, several items that are the most important to them. They're not focusing on these other things like the new laws. So um, they, you know, they want to be HR progressive, but they don't, they just don't know the laws. So we're really going in and we, we start out with what we call an HR assessment, where we go in and we basically review their whole company. We go through everything. We go through their employee files. We go through um, their onboarding process, their employment application process, their interviewing process. We go through the whole journey with them. Do they have an employee handbook? What does that handbook look like? Um, So many of our companies, as you, hired remote workers and they are in five different states. They, They really had no idea that they couldn't hire people in five different states. They didn't really think about what that meant to the business. So now we explain to them that, you know, yes, now you have these workers and they are in different states. And so now, yeah, there's a lot of different things that we have to do, including, you know, following all these laws. And again, you know, it's just you feel so bad because there's just so many things that are happening every day, particularly our companies that are dealing with, you know, supply chain issues and product and you know, a lot of frustration there. Um, you just feel so bad when you tell them, by the way, we've got a couple of things here that we have to fix, but it's okay because we're experts in this. We can help them. We tell them, listen, you focus on what your, what your pri- true priorities are and we'll button up the rest and get it in great shape and, and you know really help you make sure that you have the right processes for you and for your employees to make sure everyone is you know safe and, and working in the right environment. Awesome. Thank you. Do you go
1: so far as to get into culture and establishing the MVP with these clients,
2: or is that more business? Yeah, yeah, we are. Um, It's you know, it's really interesting um, because you know when I first started the business, I had a lot of people say to me, um, "I have an advisor. I've been on a, a board for about." about 10 years now with the same group of executives and so I really kind of consider them my board members and they said Leslie the company is you know it seems like you're going to be doing a lot And I said, you know, I understand that, that it would seem that way. I said, but you know, again, when you're working with small business owners, you know, there's a lot to do. Mm -hmm. And so we wanna make sure, you know, we certainly don't wanna tell them we can do everything. I can give you a whole, you know, a a whole list of things we don't do, but um, a lot of it really does fall under, you know, building a strong foundation. And, and in doing that, it really does start with, you know, having an employee handbook, having having values, making sure that you infuse those values into your company and into everything that you do, you know, your your town hall meetings, you know, everything. You You really, you don't want to just have values that, you know, you write and then half the owners <laughs> can't really even recite their own values, as we all know. So that's not a good thing. So we work on things like that. And it all really goes hand in hand with culture, people, building a great
0: company. Great. I was thinking, you know, that's probably a lesson that a lot of staffing owners think that they know, but I know from consulting over the years, we always ask companies, what's your mission? What are your goals for the next 12 to 18 right. months? Yeah. And I'm always astonished at the number of times I get a mission. That's very vanilla and really long yeah. and the answer, is, the answer is never that somebody spouts it off right away. It's the, oh, l- l- I know that's written down. I'll get that and send it to you. <laughs> Correct. Correct. And then even the yeah. goals, yep. there's no clarity. We want to grow. Well, by how much? By when? Why? Where are areas? Why is it important to grow? When you get into coaching on the HR side, um, does it become almost strategic business coaching or is it does it s- stick to HR?
2: No, it really does become strategic business coaching because we're lucky enough to generally um, work with either the founder. Um, or the C-level team. And so th- these are the things that we really talk about. And all of those items fall under, um, you know, looking at the strategy and vision of the company. And again, if the owner doesn't know what the vision is and what the purpose is, um, then how can, how can the employees? I mean, you, you really have to lay this foundation out for your, for your people. And David, I have to bring up something that's really funny. So you probably, probably did a presentation my goodness, I'm going to say, I don't know, 10 years ago, I used to really watch all the Haley, uh, all your Haley webinars, because I thought they were fabulous. And you did something on value propositions. This was so important. And I remember I took my entire company down into our meeting room. And I gave them a scrap of paper. And I said to them, what's our value proposition?" (laughs) And literally, I remember, you know, at that time, I probably had, I don't know, 35 people. And I know they were all scratching their head and going, oh, my God, what is is this like a trick question? What is our (laughs) value proposition? And I remember, right, it was a very pivotal time for me because I thought, okay, if they don't know the value proposition, then what in God's green earth are they telling our clients and why are we any different? than any other staffing firm. Because the one thing I notice about staffing firms is they all say the same stuff. <laughs> you know. And again, until you obviously become a very, very large staffing firm. But let's say all of the staffing firms, 25 million and under, they're pretty much all selling the same stuff. And that does not create any differentiation at all. And so we then took on this huge project of going to all of our clients. We got testimonials from all of them. We talked about how we we laid out questions that we asked them that uh, had them tell us how much time we saved and how much money we saved them. And we created this remarkable campaign around time and money. And that became our value proposition we are going to return X amount of time to you and we are going to save you X amount of money. And that was kind of who then this company became. And and we really then dug in to, okay, this is who we are and this is why we really are different. So that was something that was fabulous. So thank you for that. Well, thank
0: you. I uh, not have to go through the ar- archives and find it, but for anybody who wants to find it, we'll probably see if we can dig up and put it in the show notes because yes. all of those webinars, even the old ones are still available at lunchwithhilly.com. Yeah. it's And <laughs> hey, before we, before we wrap things up, um, I would like to, like, I didn't, I didn't even know your whole backstory and listening to you today. And as I've met you in the past, I would never have guessed your backstory is what it is. So you're you're a very impressive individual. Um, you you are an awesome leader. You've now started multiple organizations. You've been an award winning company, it, but you didn't come out with a pedigree like I went to business school and this is how I got into the world. Share a little bit about your backstory because I think a lot of people will find it really inspirational.
2: Sure. So, you know, I came from a real blue collar family. My mom, uh, my mom was an insurance secretary and my dad was a plumber and um, they worked a lot. They really, really worked a lot. And, and we, you know, we had uh, my dad was kind of a volatile guy. And uh, so that we had some uh, some tricky issues to navigate when I was young. But, um, you know, right off the bat, I had a mentor who came into my life and that was my that was my aunt. Um, and she truly was so ahead of her time and such a magnificent person. Um, my mom went back to work uh, about three days after I was born. And my, uh, my mom gave me to my aunt and my aunt took, took me from that uh, moment in time. And as I grew up with her, she basically instilled in me the uh, message that uh, and the belief that I could do anything that I put my mind to. And she wrote me, I I write this in my book, which is crazy, but no one will ever remember this. But back in the day when women wore pantyhose, which apparently I don't think they even make pantyhose anymore, um, (laughs) they used to have this little cardboard insert that was in the leg so you could see the color. And she wore, I guess, a lot of pantyhose because she would pull out that insert. And every single day, probably from the time I was, I don't know, seven or eight, she would write me a letter and leave it on my desk in, in uh, in my bedroom every single day. And some days they were just, you know, it's a beautiful day, Leslie. And I'm so happy that you're here and uh, go out and do you know, great work and, and be a wonderful person. And I love you a million love M. And uh, if it was a bigger issue or if I was going through something, she would bring me on the journey of remember who you are, remember that you can do anything. Um, you know, it, it's, it's all about you. Go out there and go get them. And so she was my first true mentor. And uh, the reason that I really was able to see that there was a path for me, I truly believed that I could do anything that I I put my mind to. And so when I got my first job at my uh, little paper supply company, um, she told me that day, you're going to get that job. There's a bunch of people that are going in there, but you're going to get it. Go in there and get that job. And I did. I was I was literally 16. Um, I, I didn't graduate high school at the time and I, I needed to get out and work for you know family reasons. And so I went out and I did get that job. And from there, I was then blessed with another mentor, as I mentioned earlier in the show, that uh, that heard me on the phone and realized that I love to talk to clients. And I had started just organically upselling the services that we had uh, because the gal that I worked next to clearly didn't want to do it. And I saw value in it. And then I got promoted and so on. So I've had a series of remarkable mentors in my life that have really, um, you know, just brought me just great places. And I think that's something that all people need. I think that everyone needs a a set or even one mentor um, to really believe in them and show them that they can do really anything that they put their mind to.
0: Love that.
2: Yeah, that's fabulous. What a great story.
1: And you can see the impact a, of that. In it your is a life. great
2: story. Yeah. Thank you. Yes.
0: It's wonderful. All right. Well, if um, we'll put this in the show notes, but if people want to learn more about Copio HR, they want to know more about uh, your book, Framing Success, and they want to know more about you, where's the best place to connect with you?
2: Uh, they can connect with me on LinkedIn. They can reach me at... Uh, Uh, LMT at CulpioHR.com They can call me uh, I'm available And uh, I would love to Would love to talk to people That's what I do
0: (laughs) Fantastic Well thank you so much This has been absolutely fantastic Uh, I've got pages and pages of notes To now go digest And put lessons in the Haley Marketing From today So thanks Uh,
2: (laughs) Thank you David and Victoria Thank you so much So great to see you both It's a pleasure Always See you soon Bye bye
1: Wow, David, that was a great conversation with Leslie. It always is, though. She's such a fun person to talk with, such a successful person with an amazing backstory.
0: I I was dying when you mentioned the the referral manager. Oh my gosh. And you were very nice because that was the one where we had the, the red blinking on the web page to show the referral bonus. And, and <laughs> yep, that was definitely <laughs> website was Allah, those... 2005.
1: Oh yeah. That was, that was a long time ago. <laughs> Might've been earlier than that. We didn't mention that specifically, but yeah, that was one of the things we built with her. What was your biggest takeaway?
0: I'm having a hard time with one, one um, but she, one thing she said that, that stood out, and I've got, I've got several points that stood out, but when she's talking to her clients and they're waiting to go back to normal, and she said, we're never going back to normal. That wasn't normal. That was just then.
1: Yeah.
0: And now we're at now. And so it's not, we're going back to then. We're at now and we have to adapt to now. I just, I love that thinking because I've heard so many times, new normal, new normal. It's not new normal. It's just now. And we have to adapt to now. Love that.
1: Yeah, I think, I think for me, the biggest um, takeaway ba- take was, you were know, really, it's something we've been talking about a lot is, you know, marketing the job openings and making it, I think she said, braggable. But she's exactly right. The young people today, and I maybe not just young people, we want to be proud of where we work and what we're contributing, and we have to tell that story in those job posts to get attention of the people that we want, that have the same values, that will get excited about those things. It all comes together, and then the fact that you know maybe all this AI and these um, the technology we're putting there is a maybe eliminating too many candidates and and not letting those people that have the right values come through because they don't have the right credentials and maybe we shouldn't be hiring so much for credentials and more for fit.
0: Well, especially in today's world when we're we're still mostly remote or even companies that are hybrid and she said, you know, you can't take the humanness out of what we do. Mm-hmm. If we remo- remove human connection from the recruiter, we lose the insight and Well, maybe there'll be a day when AI is artificial insight. Right now, it's mostly just machine learning and analyzing data sets. And a recruiter can analyze more than data sets. They can analyze emotion. They can analyze body language. They can analyze situation. And that's where insight's going to come from, that combination of, of experience and being able to look at the situation. The technology clearly can augment the process, but we've heard this as a recurring theme with a lot of our guests. If you take the people out of the people business, you lose the value of the business.
1: And on the other side, it's the client. She mentioned the phone calls where she was able to increase her, um, her revenue by 10 to 15% year over year by simply asking the question, how can I help you solve your problem to a client? getting on, on the phone and having a conversation and showing that you care and you want to help. I, I think we've said that most every single podcast that we've done.
0: <laughs> I know our show is going to get really redundant, but it, but these, some of these lessons are so foundational. And, and speaking of which, you know, that defining the MVP, like every business consultant, every B school class in entrepreneurship, they talk about defining your your mission, your vision, your core values. She defined it as mission, value, and purpose. The practical reality is very few businesses, a tiny percentage actually do it. Maybe it's sort of like writing down your goals. It's something like 3% of the world writes down their goals. And those are the most successful 3% of people in the world. Well, companies that really define their MVP and then use it to drive decision-making, use it to drive Hiring, use it to drive those town hall meetings, the, the reviews you're doing with people, that's a whole different ball game. And Leslie came back to say later on that your differentiation isn't what you say, it's what your company's all about. So if you didn't define that MVP correctly in the beginning, you're not dead in the water, but you better go figure it out, or you're you're gonna be destined to staffing commodity hell and mm-hmm fighting for every piece of business and every point of gross margin.
1: Ironically, we were talking about um, acronyms and MVP means minimum viable product to me. So when she said MVP, I got lost, <laughs> but I totally agree with, with mission, value, and purpose. And, the, and I liked her story about somewhere around in her 27th or 28th year, having staff not aligned and how important it is to make sure that your entire company and every Person on your team is aligned with those values and living those values, and how detrimental it is when it doesn't work out that way.
0: Yeah, and even when you know at that age, you may have people been a great tenure with the organization who you discover no longer fit. You may have people who are performing really well. Um, I fact, I was reading a blog post today. Is that those are the hardest ones to deal with because they're high performers, but they're a pain in the ass. And they disrupt your culture and they may be great for today but long term that's probably not great for where you want to go to uh, my last takeaway from leslie's chat was this the, the concept she talked about of being hr progressive and she tied it a lot to understanding employment law but I'm thinking bigger picture if a staffing company is consulting with clients what a great way to differentiate is: let, let us help you be hr progressive from a talent acquisition standpoint and put HR first, um, I'm guessing a lot of HR managers would really like that message. But also, that's what they should be doing with talent, not reacting to the need of the organization, but being proactive about driving the future of the business by putting the right people on the team.
1: I think I remember one of the keynotes at Staffing World was talking about how HR should really Directly report to the C level to the CEO because the people are so important and the strategy with AR and being progressive with AR, HR is so important. I think I said AR. I meant HR. <laughs>
0: <laughs> we can have human resources and augmented reality. We'll just combine them together. It's perfect. I think I'm in augmented reality
1: right now. But lastly, I want to make sure that we mention that, you know, Leslie attributes. So much of her success, she mentioned luck early on, but then at the end, her last story, we we're talking about where she came from and her backstory, was the great mentors. And I think as leaders, that's something that we need to remind ourselves: we have an obligation to mentor other people that are coming up within our business, maybe outside of our business. But having a great mentor is such a positive experience for many of us that become successful, and to pay that back by or pay it forward by being mentors to others. And, and I just see that in Leslie and how much she's trying to give with her book and with her new company.
0: Yeah, I think it's it's critical. It's something that um, getting into business ourselves at relatively young ages, um, we just sort of plowed through trying to figure things out instead of finding those mentors. And now got a little more, uh, I'll call it maturity. Is that my saying world? Uh, a little more maturity, wisdom. 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 Thank you. <laughs> I can see the value of having those mentors for us joining entrepreneurs organization is part of that. But I love what you're saying of, you know, make sure you're, you're sending the elevator back down so that you're helping to bring other people up, whether they're inside your organization or inside your community or inside your industry that you serve. So much opportunity there. Love that. Anything else you've got from today?
1: I mean, yes, I'm sure there's a ton more, but let's wrap it up because I'm sure we're getting to the hour point at this
2: point.
0: (laughs) Awesome. Well, for everybody listening in, thank you very much for being part of today's episode of Secrets of Staffing Success. If you want to learn more about Leslie's book or her company, um, we'll have that in the show notes. And uh, from Vicki and I, uh, thank you so much for being part of today's episode. And we hope that you'll join us next time for our next edition of Secrets of Staffing Success. Take care. Yeah.